Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Well, good morning. You guys doing good? All right. I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk about this, this, this uh, conversation that I've I've had with myself really ever since I was a little boy. I, I didn't know this was kind of forming my mind and my thoughts in my being. But ever since I can remember, my mom and, and my, my dad, they, they, would, they would focus on, on the words that you say, the words that you speak. And I'll never forget there was this moment in, in my life where, you know, there was, there was a lot going on with, with my mom. And she, she had a, a bad diagnosis. And they're, they're, the doctor was saying she had a, a potential breast cancer. And I remember being very young when this happened. And you got to understand this, that when I was raised in, in my family, that my mom was always talking the scripture over me. She was the one, like, even when I was in high school, I'm like, Mom, do you, do you have to bring up Jesus again? Like, does this, ha- this has nothing to do with Jesus. She just would always bring it back to God. But when I was a little boy, you know, she would read Bible scripture to me and talk to me about God and point me in that direction. And in many ways, our, our parents are our rabbis when we're young. There are teachers. But when this happened, when the family, you know, it was kind of like a rock bottom moment. I'll never forget, you know, my mom would take me to Manna Donuts in the morning sometimes. And she had this little book that was given to her by a friend. And in the book were just scripture after scripture of declarations of healing and of God's words over her life, over her body. Over what God said she was, not what she thought she was, or what other people, or even a doctor said she was. And so, I remember being, at a young age, reading these scriptures to my mom. And what she was doing is she was trying to to show me that the words that I speak hold weight. With words, you can bless someone, you can uplift them, and you can also curse someone and bring them down. And I just believe that as, as parents, as, as mothers and fathers, we hold an, an, an extra type of weight to our children. Whatever authority figure you've had in your life, they may have spoken really beautiful things over your life, things of God, which is, by the way, called identity. Because those words form something in you and you, you begin to take on those words as your identity, as who you are. And so... I think that it's really important that we talk about not who do you say I am, what does man say that I am, but who does God say that I am? I think that's the more important question because many of you in the room, you are people of faith. You walk with God. You, you read the scriptures. You, you walk in spiritual disciplines, but you're still held back because you are struggling with your identity. And that's because there were particular words that were spoken over you that were not blessing, but they were curses. Not witchery, but they just were, they were speaking something that was not of your design. And that's what the devil does, by the way. That's what the enemy does. He'll speak not of who God says you are, but of who you think you are. And last time I checked, I don't really know if I have the best answer for myself all the time. You see, many of us waste time worrying about what other people think of us or say of us. 
we worry about what our friend thinks or our boyfriend or girlfriend, what they think. Oh, I'll never forget, just a side note, I remember I, um, I had like a pimple or something on my face, and it was like really bad. I was in like sixth grade, and my best friend, his name was Ryan, and I'll never forget thinking, this is, this is why at a young age, a child's identity is being formed, and I remember going to school thinking, I wonder what Ryan's going to say. Like, I wonder if he'll, you know, be different with me. I mean, this is like, right, like a 12-year-old mind. And he didn't even care about it. He was like, hey, what's up, man? Let's go play. Let's go. And I remember thinking, oh, so I'm okay because he didn't say anything about my pimple. But you see, like, I, I want to make it as real as humanly possible just because that happened when you were 12 doesn't mean anything changes when you're 22. That someone can say something about you or you're so worried, you're so crippled about what someone would say about you or your appearance or what you do or don't do or how you think or don't think. That it cripples you so much that you begin to just live in fear and you allow their words to hold weight in your identity. We want to be loved, don't we? We want to be valued. We want to be respected. We want to be admired. But why base our identity and sense of self-worth on the opinions of other flawed human beings when God's view of us is the only one that should truly matter? I mean, think about it. If you believe that God is good and that God loves you and that he has a plan for you and when he speaks, he speaks goodness over your life, why wouldn't you want his opinion about you? But yet sometimes we are so consumed by what others say of us that it affects us so much that it begins to deteriorate not only our soul but the relationships in our life. Because if I am not loved, then I cannot let you get close to me because you'll discover how unloving I am. If I am just constantly rejected, then what good is it to, for us to build a relationship because you're just going to leave me. You're just going to reject me. When you really know the true me, I don't think you're going to like me. Or some of us, we, we come from spaces where people have left you, constantly left you over and over. And so why would I let you get close to me when in the back of my mind, I fear that you will abandon me? But you see, there was a moment in your life where someone spoke those things over your life because your words hold so much value that you begin to believe them. So today I want to talk about the words we speak. And if I had a subtitle, it would be identity. The most important question we can ask concerning our identity is this. Who does God say I am? Who does God say that you are? You see, if you don't know the scripture, if you don't know the stories... If you don't know the things that God has done for men and women in the scriptures, then you won't get a taste of an understanding of what God says about you. Because in scripture, God actually has something to say about you. So I want to make something really clear as we jump into this conversation that this is really for those that take on Jesus as their rabbi, as their father. If you were to say, I'm a person of faith, I believe in God. And maybe you're in the room and you're like, I'm just not quite sure about God. Well, you're invited into the conversation. But there's just a couple of statements that I want to highlight to you because 
I'm convinced that there have been moments in your life that you have never even heard these words spoken about you. The first would be, I am his beloved child. Did you know, one, that you are beloved by God? And that two, you're his child? That when you begin to walk with him, that you begin to have a relationship with him, that he not only says, you are loved, but he says, no, you are my son. You are my daughter. Scripture says, I have plenty of scripture, by the way. See what, God, what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. I just have a quick side note. What I want to do is, is sort of disrupt your, your thought process when it comes to who you think you are. Because I've been around church long enough, there's a lot of different camps, isn't there? Denominations and beliefs and, well, you got to do this and you got to do that. And how come this church is different than that church's church, right? There's different unique expressions. But the one that I get most uncomfortable with is the one that says, which is true, by the way, but let me, let me unravel it for you. Because we see it on TikTok, we can see it on Instagram. If you watch enough of sermons, you'll get the algorithm. And it's that you are scum. You're horrible. You're so deprived and jacked up and messed up that you need God. Now, can we be honest? That's true, isn't it? I think it's true. <laughs> I think we're kind of messed up. I think at the core of our being that we can be so evil that we can destroy someone's life. I, I would argue that that is true. Now, if I am constantly speaking that over your life every single week, I don't know if you're going to find encouragement for your soul. And the thing that I have a problem with is I do not see that in Jesus. Because you need to understand something. God is Jesus. And Jesus is God. And so if you're looking for God... You just need to look to Jesus. Well, I don't know what like Jesus, I don't know what God thinks, or I don't know what he says about me. Well, what does Jesus think? What does he say about you? In fact, there is only one man in the religious world that has claimed to be God. Man, fully man and fully God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also says, it says in John, that if you look at Jesus, you look at God. And so, I really want to know what Jesus says about me then. But oftentimes, we get so consumed with the depravity of humanity that I am just a horrible, wretched, wicked man, and I am. But those are words that tear down, don't they? Could you imagine speaking that over your child every day? I love this test. I know Kelly and I want to eventually do this with, with our daughters, and I think it's a phenomenon but it's, it goes so deep into the words that we speak that there's a test, and you can look it up on your own and do your own due diligence, that there's like in kindergarten or preschool or first grade, especially in the faith-based space, because the, the teacher wants to teach the child or the rabbi wants to teach the student that the words you speak hold weight. And so you get two cups, you fill it up with soil, and then you get two seeds, the same type of seeds, the same type of cup, same type of soil. And you pour the same amount of water in it, and you take one cup, and you do this with your child, and you say, okay, this one, I want you to speak life over it. You're a good seed. You're going to be amazing. You're going to grow up. You're beautiful. You're going to grow. Come on, grow. 
And then you take the other one and you just speak death over it. You're ugly, you're nasty, you're scum. You're never going to do anything in your life. You're not going to grow. And the phenomenon, you can look this up on your own, is that the one that is spoken life to grows. The one that is spoken death over doesn't. Isn't there something interesting about the words that we speak? Now, I'm not saying that you can speak things into existence. Please don't hear me on that. I just believe that there is weight with saying, hey, I love you. I hear you. You're loved. I forgive you. Than saying, I hate you. I can't stand you. Get out of my life. There's a certain weight that comes with that, doesn't it? And so you have to understand that those words are spoken from an individual and that individual has a soul, and that soul has been affected throughout its life. So if I don't know what God says about me, then the words that come out of my mouth may not be of God. But if I know what God says about me, if I know what he calls me to, if I know what he speaks to my soul, then I can speak that to others. I am his beloved child. John 1 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. 2 Corinthians says this, therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and you will, you, and I will receive you, God says. And... I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Did you know that God says you're a son? Did you know that? That when you walk in him, he says you're my son. He says you're my daughter. Galatians says this. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. Romans says this. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs. That's a big word. That means we hold some type of weight. We do that, like as a human, I hold that weight. Yeah, that's what the scripture says. I'm not taking this out of context. Look at what it says. If we are children, then we are heirs. Children of who? Children of God. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering and in order that we may also share in his glory. The next statement, I'm not sure if you've ever heard this, is, I am chosen. I'm adopted into his family. You know, it's kind of like, like <laughs> the Matrix with Neo, right? You're the one. No, you are the one. Not in an egotistical manner or narcissistic way. But God says, no, you're the one. You're the one that I love. You're the one that I will chase after. You're the one that when there is a hundred sheep and one goes astray... I will go after you, and when I find you, and I put you on my shoulders, and there's some wrestling along the way, I will bring you back, and I will throw a party for you. Look, my lost sheep that has drifted away, he's back, so let's throw a party. You are the one that might be the son or the daughter that has drifted astray, and you just kind of want to do whatever you want to do. And you've come to the realization that in your doing what you ever want, whatever you want to do, that you, you've made some bad decisions. And now your life is a ramification of those choices. And the father says, no, when you come back, he runs after you and hugs you and welcomes you and says, let's throw a party for my son who's home. That's actually what the father thinks of you. So when he says, 
you are chosen, he says you are chosen. That you're adopted into his family. Ephesians says this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Wait a second. Before the creation of the world? Did you know that? I mean, you have to have these moments in your walk with God where you actually think, wait a second. Okay, there's nothing. It's just pitch black. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. There's no creation. There's nothing that's taking place. You're telling me that God thought of me then? That's what the Scripture says. Unless you want to argue the Scripture. I believe that the Word of God is powerful, and it's for us, and it holds weight. No, He chose you before you were even thought of in your parents' mind or weren't. He knew you in your mother's womb when you were being developed and nurtured, when you were being, when you were growing and forming. Do you understand that God is beyond time? I say this all the time. So that means when he speaks a word to you, he's not just seeing it in the now, he's seeing it in eternity. Do you know that you're eternal beings? Do you know that your soul goes somewhere when you die? Eternity is within all of us. And so when God speaks over our life, he's, he's not just speaking it here and now, yes, but he's speaking it in the future. First Thessalonians says, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. First Thessalonians 2 says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God which is indeed at work in those who believe. The next statement is that I am valuable. Have you ever told yourself that? I, I, I have value? Do you know that if you don't value you, others will not value you? As a woman, if you don't have value for you, your guy won't have value for you. As a man, if you don't value you, your girl, your, your, even your wife won't value you. You have to value you not off of you, but off what God says about you. There is a value component, not a, again, egotistical, narcissistic, but a value that comes from what the Father says of me as his son, that I'm valuable. He calls me his workmanship. Did you know that? That's what he calls you? In Ephesians, it says, for we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Genesis 1, 26 says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creation and creatures that move along the ground. You see, God created us after his image, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is relationship there. There is, there is a, a, a Trinitarian dance taking place. And what I mean by that is you are formed in the image. There's Greek that says imago Dei. That you're formed in the imago Dei, the image of God. That is how you were formed. That is your original design. That's why I have a problem. Even if we just momentarily take the faith conversation out, and I know... We're in church, but just bear with me here. If you're talking to someone who is an atheist, they will feel uncomfortable because they're human 
if they're spoken down to all the time. Why is that? Because they were created in the Imago Dei. They were created in the image of God. They, in fact, though they do not believe in God, bear the very image of God. And so that's why we as image bearers need to be speaking life into others. We need to, to share the light of the world. We need to share the power of God and the words we speak. Imagine speaking death over an image bearer of God. That's probably not a good thing to do, but yet we do it all the time. Genesis 5.1 again, and this is written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. And here it is, James 3, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. So how dare us, when I say us, disciple of God, one who believes in God, to speak down on another image bearer of God? You know, I, um, I was thinking about this thought, I, was, I heard this the other day, and it really got my mind thinking if you look at Christianity or, you know, the religion of, of, of Christianity with Jesus as, as a faith understanding, and you were to look at all the other religions, some people say all religions are the same, and that's just the biggest lie ever. Like, logically, it doesn't even add up. But I want you to think about this. If there are particular religions out there that wanted, which, by the way, they do, that want all of the world to succumb to their faith, I want you to think about this. If that happened, would the world be better or worse? There are actual faith-based spaces, religions, that say, if you do not believe what I believe, I will cut your head off. I will kill you because you do not bear what I believe. There, that is an actual religion in, in this world. And yet, the reason why I resonate so much with Jesus is because when he looks at me, he says, no, you have a choice. We live in a, a free world with Christ. And that's why we can argue all day about different politics and different, um, you know, socioeconomic spaces and how the world should be shaped and how the systems of the world should be. And I'm just convinced that all of them aren't good. None of them are the best. But there still could be good things in all of them, but I just come to believe, this is my opinion, I'm sorry, this is my opinion, but when I look at the scriptures, God gives us freedom, doesn't he? So then I want to be in a space, I want to be worshiping a God that gives me freedom, that says you are free, you are loved. There are spaces in religions that say for the women, if you show your face out in public and don't cover it, you are a disgrace to me as a husband. How dare you do that to my God? How does that make a woman feel? And so that's why I just, I, I get a little uncomfortable with people that don't understand faith and religion and how not all religions are the same, friend. And there are people in our country that particularly advocate for these types of spaces or countries which, by the way, if they got what they want, that advocate would be dead. I just, so when I look at Jesus, I, I want to be with Jesus where he's not going to chop my head off. Where he's going to say, no, 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 son, you're valued. You are chosen. 
I want you to step into freedom. I want you to know who you are because you were created in my likeness and in my image. Now walk free. The next would be, I am redeemed. Are you guys good? I know it's a little heavy. Probably too heavy. The next is, I am redeemed. Scripture says in 1 Peter, for you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. Your redemption comes because of what Christ has done. You couldn't ever really do it for yourself, so Christ did it for you. Ephesians says, in him we have Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Galatians says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Freedom. You have freedom. Did you know that? Some people think, oh, you know, I don't really like want the whole God thing because he's just going to tell me what to do all the time. He's just, he's just a tyrant. And so I don't really want God because I want to be free. I've heard people say that. But what they don't realize is because they don't want God, they think they're free, but they're actually enslaved to their own mess, to their own sin, to their own faults, to their own brokenness. And so they become captives. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to think without God, you're free. But it's actually with God you find freedom. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. First John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We are, friend, a redeemed people. Redemption is in our blood. For those that walk with Christ, for those that it has accepted him into your life, you now have redemption in your blood when we become sons and daughters. Uh, this next one is, is one that I, I resonate so much with because, you know, I ask myself this question a lot, and, and forgive me for being, like, super vulnerable, but sometimes I, like, will ask myself, well, how do people change? Have you ever asked yourself that question? How does a man or woman change? And we were singing this song that he changes us, right, that he's, he's, the, he's the God of forever, that he doesn't change, but he changes us. And so our identity shifts. But how does God do that? Because if I'm being honest, I know of people that do not believe in God, and they've changed. But I just would argue it's all external. Because when you get to the root, when you get inside of, of someone's mind and, and their thoughts and their soul, you begin to see that they're fragment, they're broken. And so they can put on a particular facade or mask for a certain amount of time. But when you walk with someone long enough, you realize, hey, man, you're saying you're free and change, but you're not. I believe, though, that Christ, he changes us from the inside out. I just believe people are changed externally, that they can do the habits. Do you hear me? You can do the habit. You can change your neural pathway. You can, you can go through therapy and psychotherapy. You could do those things. But until you are touched by heaven and the spirit of God shifts and changes you from the inside out, it will just kind of be momentary. And so I just, I've learned that he makes me new, that I am new. 
I want to read you this, this passage of scripture that I love so much because I love names. Names mean something to God. They mean something to me. If they mean something to God, they should mean something to us. And there's this passage of scripture in the book of Genesis 17, 1 through 5. It says this. I, I added this um, for the team in the back because I just I felt like I wanted to add this in the scripture. It says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell to his face and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Watch this. You will be called Abraham, for I have made you father of many nations. This guy's 99 years old. Could you imagine going in like the village or going to a new village? Hey, what's your name? Uh, father of many nations. Really? Where are your children? I don't have any yet. Oh, you don't have like a tribe or a people with you? You don't even have a nation? But you're the father of nations? That, that doesn't make sense, Abram or Abraham. I don't know what to call you. You're kind of lying now. No, this is what I mean by identity. It's something that's spoken of in the future. Do you know that Abraham never saw what God spoke over his life? God told him, you will be a father of many nations. And he is. Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons as Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. <laughs> my, point with, my point with that is, God will speak something into you that you don't even believe for yourself. So I just get a little uncomfortable with certain camps in the Christian world that speak so much depravity over you. How on earth will you grow with that? How on earth will you know who God says you are? Now there needs to be a maturity that you are humbly understanding who you are. But there should be a confidence and authority those that walk with Christ should have so much authority in their life. They should have so much confidence that whatever room you walk into, you're not proud, you're not arrogant, but you're confident. Because who God says you are. And that's my prayer for every person in this room, is that you would stop listening to the noise of what other men and women say about you. Or what your father might have spoken over you. Or what your mom might say to you right now. No, the only voice that should hold weight is God's voice. And he says you're loved. He says you're valuable. He says you are new. I don't feel new. I don't really feel new. I'm like getting old. What do you mean? Why are you saying I'm new, God? What are you talking about? No, that's what identity is. It's tapping into a source that is beyond you. It's tapping into faith. It's tapping into who God says you are. You might not see it, but God sees it. That's why he says, walk by faith and not by sight. Because if God knows who you are in heaven, in your sanct it's a big theological word that says sanctification, right? can sound kind of daunting. All that means is that you're sanctified as you mature and as you grow and as you walk with God. But you won't find the full um, apex of that until you're in heaven. 
you find true sanctification when you're in glory with, with the Father and in the new Eden. But until then, I'm going to walk in the identity that God says over my life, even if it doesn't feel true right now. That is how you work through your identity. Does that make sense? Through his salvation, Christ's salvation, we gain an altogether new identity and a whole new life. When God gets a hold of you, he might give you a new name. Your new name is redeemed. Your new name is valuable. Your new name is loved. You look at Saul, the persecutor of, of Christians. Could you imagine a guy that was a, a zealot that knew the scripture, that knew the Old Testament? He was having people killed because they were proclaiming faith in Christ. Saul is killing men and women. He kills Stephen. And he has a radical encounter with God. And, and he sees this is his name. Now I'm going to change. Your name is Paul now. He sees this man named Cephas or Simon. And Simon's with his brother. And he doesn't really know what to think about this Jesus. And as soon, could you imagine meeting someone and the first thing they tell you is like, no, you're not Simon, you're, you're the rock. You're the rock now. That sounds pretty cool, right? <laughs> yeah, I am the rock. You know, like we literally in our day and age have that, right? Like there is like the rock, Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne doesn't sound very cool until he's got the rock in front of it. But my point with that is, God, Jesus, will change he, because he sees something in your identity that you will never see in yourself unless you begin to look at him and learn him and know him and understand that your words hold weight. So when he says you're a rock, then believe you're a rock. When he says you are free, then believe you're free and walk in freedom. 2 Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new Creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Ephesians says, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I don't know if this makes anyone comfortable, but maybe it makes the people that like grew up in, in the church a little bit uncomfortable because there was a time where it was wrong to say, I want to be like God. Like, I, I don't know where we went wrong with that because that's actually what the scripture says. That we are co-heirs with Christ and that we are pers to pursue our rabbi and be like him. Well, is not Jesus God? So why do we have a problem with saying, I want to be like God? I want to hold his character. I want to hold his cadence. I want to take on his attributes. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's Jesus. First Corinthians says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Here's the last one. I'll never forget this. I was, uh, I was in Bible school and there was a, a guy that I really respect. I still respect and honor to this day. Um, he had already got his master's in divinity at, at Duke Divinity School. And I'm like, whoa, that's really cool, right? Could you imagine you know, you had like your degree from seminary from Duke. Sounds kind of prestigious. <laughs> like you know something, right? And then he was actually working on his PhD at Regent University, which within the faith-based world, um, it, it's a pretty big deal. And I'll never forget, we were having a conversation, 
And he told me something that made me really uncomfortable because it wasn't adding up to scripture. She's like, I can't stand when people say that we are friends of God. Like that is, that is so wrong to say. God is so holy. God is so big. God is so powerful. How dare us associate ourselves as a friend of God? And then I'm just like, this is why you got to know the Bible. I'm like, oh, wait a second. Didn't Jesus, who's God, say I'm his friend? How does that make sense? I think what happens in places of, of religiosity, in places of legalism, is that we forget that God says, I want to know you. I want you to open up your life to me because I already know you, but I want you to open up every part of who you are so that I can experience you for who you are. Because the more you begin to know God, the more you begin to understand who you are and how you were created and designed to be. And the more you begin to learn God, the more you begin to speak the words of God. But, but this last statement is that I am his friend. Did you know that you're a friend of God's? That you're a friend of Jesus? He says this. And John, I no longer call you my servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Now, really quick, you can be immature and call him friend and not see him as Lord. That's not on me. That's on you. <laughs> the maturity comes with knowing that he is your friend, that he is with you but that he is also your Lord and Savior, that he is also the God of the universe, that he holds power, that he is cosmic and big and beyond time and space. He is all-powerful and all-knowing. He is everywhere in every moment. That is who God is, and that God says, I'm your friend. I want to do life with you. I want to walk with you. I want you to learn who you are through who I say you are. Because the enemy and your friends and people around you, they'll try to tell you who you are. You have to learn the words that God speaks over your life. And here's the last one. I am his ambassador. I love this one. If you understand what an ambassador does, they represent a particular country or region or space. If you look at the synonyms of the word ambassador, if you're just simply to look it up on your phone right now, it's representative. It's a promoter. It's an advocate. It's a backer. It's an upholder. The scripture says, I am Christ's ambassador. That means that if you were to send me to another country, God is telling me, Sam, you're not just anyone. You're my ambassador. You are my representative. So that you need to represent heaven. You need to represent the kingdom of God. I don't want you to represent America. I don't want you to represent a politician. I don't want you to represent anyone other than me. Because I bring the kingdom of heaven. And so some of us need to wrap our mind around that. The theology of the kingdom of heaven. All throughout the book of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now Jesus looks to us and says, you're my ambassador now. I want you to represent me here on earth. Yeah, so as a teacher with your students, how can you be an ambassador for me in that classroom? 
as a doctor, as a dentist, as a lawyer, as a co-worker, as a business owner, how are you representing the kingdom of heaven wherever you go? And I, I want to represent him well. I don't know about you, man. I want to represent God well to my family. And I got some work to do in that area because it's hard with little ones. I got some work to do in my life. I'm sure you have work to do as well. But when we come to the conclusion that God says, no, you're loved, you're chosen, you're adopted, you're valuable, you're new, you are my friend, you represent me, it holds a different weight. Because if you're not careful, the father of lies, the other father, he'll tell you who you are. Notice that the Satan is called the father of lies. Did you ever know that? Jesus said he is the father of lies. And when he speaks, he speaks his native language. What, is, what do those words create? They form an identity in you. Because words form things. Words create things. So if you're listening to the father of lights, you'll be formed into his identity. But if you listen to the father of lies, you'll begin to live lies all throughout your life. I'm not good. I'm not loved. I'm not valuable. But I want you to be reminded this morning of who you are in Christ. That if you're searching, if you're seeking for more, that sooner or later you're going to run into Christ. And he'll change you from the inside out and then he'll say, now it's time to change. It's time to shift. It's time to walk in the goodness and the newness. It's time to know who you are. Can I pray for you? Jesus, thank you for every person in this room. Thank you that you, you have a particular word that is spoken over their life, God. That you love them as a father, as a good father who has many gifts for the, his son or daughter. I pray, Lord, that we would walk in that love, that we would walk in that value, that we would walk in that newness, in that redemption, and in that grace, and that we would begin to hear the voice of God over our lives so that our identity is shaped into the person of you, God.